Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Sal Maggio. The Life of a New Jersey Trooper is his autobiography. Sal Maggio dropped out of college and joined the New Jersey Army National Guard. Then he entered the New Jersey State Police Academy, graduated and started his police career in central New Jersey as a general road trooper. After numerous transfers, none for disciplinary reasons, Maggio spent 19 years on the road as a trooper and road sergeant. He recalls many incidents encountered while working the highways and policing the towns and townships that do not have a local police department. After 19 years on the road, Maggio was promoted to sergeant first class and his patrolling days were over as he became a supervisor and manager of Trevisor. He was eventually promoted to captain and was the Troop B commander in charge of eight stations and about 350 troopers. Join Trooper Maggio on his rides through New Jersey enforcing the law. Many of the incidents are humorous, some tragic. Maggio also interacted with union leaders, governors, and U.S. presidents. Sal, welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show. Thank you, sir. Wow. That's a lot of years uh, dedicating yourself to public service. Thank you for your service. Um, You know, we were talking before uh, the show started a little bit about the differences today from when you were working as a trooper. What do you think the biggest differences are uh, what you see with policing today versus back then? The word I like to use is discretion. Uh, the troopers today or and local police, they don't have the discretion we had with a motorist or even at a call. It could be a domestic. It could be a burglary. You talk to people in the language that they understand. And if they're nasty, you should become a little nasty. But Today, you can't do that because you're wrong. It, with the, everything's got audio now and, uh, and, and video. Uh, you, you can't go back at the person if he's nasty to you. And, and, and they understand that. The public understands that if you hit them back with what they're saying. Yeah. Did you have any uh, incidents where you wish you would have had a camera on you? Uh. Not really. Uh, I had people make erroneous complaints and you say, well, if you had a camera, you would have known, you would have had evidence that they made an erroneous complaint. But I don't recall anything that was so erroneous that they could possibly get me. Yeah, yeah. interact with judges. And and uh, is there anything different, do you think, with, with that role today versus back then? Well, I think the only thing that's really different is in not too much in the municipal courts where the local judges and the municipality seem to, seem to side with the police most of the time. Uh, in your higher courts, Superior Court in New Jersey, the Superior Court is the county level. Uh, there, depending on which county you're in. Now, I'm in Warren County, where I live. It's a very conservative county, uh, Republican county. Not that I'm a Republican. I'm an independent person. But it's a Republican county, and you you get convicted of a crime in, in Warren County, you're probably going to jail if it's a felony. If the same crime is committed in Essex County, where Newark is the, the uh, county seat, you probably get probation. It's yeah. the way it is. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take you back to the beginning of your career, your first uh, few weeks or months as a as a trooper. Um, what what was that like back then to be brand new in the role? And uh, did you have a lot of pride in your job? Were you scared, nervous? Uh, were you uncertain what to do? Or do you think you had really good training and all was the best, uh, yeah. The best training, I think, is the 60 days you spend under the, what they call the Trooper Coach Program. My coach was about four years ahead of me in time on the job, and he taught me a lot. And not everything that he taught me was good. Uh, 90% of it was good, and then I noticed some, certain things that he did that I wouldn't do. But the bottom line was that's more training. That 60 days, I learned more about the job than the on the job going on. Uh, we we had complaints that you couldn't handle. We handled them differently back then than they they, they today. He would have been fired. But the biggest thing he told me that I liked was when you stop a car, just a motor vehicle violation, you're stopping a car. You're not stopping a person. You eventually see the person. The person could be a male, female, black, white, brown. It doesn't matter. But you're stopping a car. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be looking for cars based on race or gender, uh, though, that, though it does happen. I've seen it happen myself. Uh, so was there a moment back then when you were starting out where you, it was like, oh, my gosh, I am a trooper. <laughs> I'm really doing this job. Like, was there a particular incident that sort of defined the beginning of your career? It, it, I guess it started right before we graduated the academy. A couple of my classmates said, well, what are you going to do if you don't like the job? I said, well, I'm going to graduate this academy, and I'm going to get the job. And then after I don't like the job in six months, I'll go back to driving a truck. I made more money driving a truck than, than we made as troopers back then. The pay was really low. I think I started at 7200 I was making close to ten grand a year driving a truck into New York every day. But I liked it. And I think what I liked about it, the main thing I liked about it was that we had discretion and you were not tied down to a desk. You were in a car handling your calls, whatever way you wanted, the way you were taught and the way you thought the call should be handled. And, and you, you had the job. I'm down on you. If you I weigh in your car and I go zooming by at 75 and a 55. And uh, so... How do you decide whether to come after me or not? Is there some calculus there? Is or do you do you decide oh, this guy's going fast enough, or he's? I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to get the next one. Uh, oh, the car that goes by. I, I like I said. I don't. I may see if it's in the daytime. We we got the radar machine called K55 in 1977, mm -hmm. and that was a godsend. I mean, you you made the job so much easier as far as speeding violations go. Right. You park on an interstate uh, facing the highway on, on a medial, and a person goes by you, like you say, 75, 80 miles an hour. And, and the speed was 55 all the way till I think, 96 when they ch finally changed it and brought it up. Uh, ever since uh, the gas crunch in the early 70s, it was 55 in the whole country. And we're not going to get people tickets for 60 and a 55, but most of the traffic is going 60, 65 anyway. Yeah. And then there's the odd guy that comes through at 80, and uh, I'd go after him. Yeah. The funny thing is uh, 
motorcycle will come through going 90 miles an hour, and a lot of times the radar machine didn't pick it up and ah. couldn't stop them. Yeah, they, they, it, 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 the smaller the car, the harder it is to pick up. The tractor trailer would wipe out all the cars around them hmm. because he's so big. Right. That's the way that machine worked. Right, right. So you hear that, bikers? You can go as fast as you want, <laughs> at least back in the 70s. Well, sometimes you got them. It depends. If nobody was around them, you might pick them up. But yeah. I would say, in my experience with bikes, 75% of the time, <laughs> the machine didn't even go off. Wow. All right. So then uh, he's, oh, there's the guy I'm going to go get. So what's the process once you take off? Are you on the on the radio reporting that, what you're doing? Um right. You know, what What are no, the steps? No, not really. No, no, not really on the radio. You don't, you're not, if you're just pulling your car over for speeding and you pull behind and you put your lights on, or if you have an unmarked car, you have lights in the grill, 99% of the time the motorist pulls over. Yeah. Now, if he doesn't pull over and he, he, you're involved in a high-speed chase, then you're supposed to call it in. Right, uh, right. But I found, and the way I was taught, uh, when I was on a parkway, which is a high-speed road, and we had big Chrysler uh, troop cars with 440 engines on the parkway back in 68 and 69 when I was on the parkway. And uh, if you're chasing a car, especially at night, and he's not stopping, you put it on the radio, and then you lose him. You, you, you're going to be criticized when <laughs> they give you a big car, Sal, with a 440 engine. Yeah. And you can't catch them. Put the you're pedal to the metal, needed. Sal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other reason why you don't want to put it on the radio, because you're chasing them. Now, he he crashes, and, and you're already put on the radio that you're chasing him at over 90, 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You could become liable, or the state could become liable on causing his death or his injuries. So you don't put it at a time and point where you have to put it on the radio, depending on what the situation was. But a lot of times that night, and I lost them, that's it. I'll get them the next time. Well, Sal, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. We're talking to Sal Maggio. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors from Pennsylvania and beyond. Check out Feather White by Mickey McGuire, Surviving Hitler, Evading Stalin, The True Story of Mildred Schindler Jansen, Roaming Tigers, The History of Southern Columbia Football by Merrill Schaefer, or Somebody Else's Dream by Maxim Furek. Find these and other great books at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Sal Maggio, the author of The Life of a New Jersey Road Trooper. Pulling me over. <laughs> so, uh, I, 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 so I have to admit this has happened to me a few times, not in New Jersey, fortunately, but in other states. And I'm sitting there and the trooper's coming up. And uh, I don't know, it seems uh, it's nervous when, when you're the person being pulled over. But yeah, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, do I have my wallet? I better have my driver's license. Is my insurance card in here? My registration? Um, you know, how... I'd, I'm guessing like 90-some percent of the time, everything's cool, person's got the paperwork, it's just writing up a ticket. Um, you know, tell me some things that can go wrong. Well, if, if the person knows he's wanted or he has some outstanding warrants, I notice it right away. Mm. I notice his, he's, his nervousness, his demeanor. He's trying to get his paperwork out and he's, he's nervous and he's, he's, oh, even his hands could be shaking. I know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know how wrong it is. What I would do is I get his paperwork. I always advise him why I stopped him. Right. In case he wants to plead that he, 
that he has friends in the police and I do favors for the police. And so I talk his way out of a ticket, which is fine. He has the right to talk. Now I go back to the car. If I think that I made a lot of my arrests using this system, I ha- I'd be back in the car and I'd run his name, his social security number, and his driver's license number in the NCIS and SCIS. NCIS is the National Crime Information uh, Service, and SCIS is a state. So he may be wanted state only. What that means is that if, if he's wanted state only, but the warrant issued at, at the New York, you, you can't arrest him because mm-hmm. they're not going to extradite him uh, unless it's uh, NCICS, and then, it, then they would extradite, and then you'd bring him in. I made most of my arrests, a lot of my arrests that way, because I'd be surprised how many people are out there that uh, have a warrant on them for not paying a ticket or contempt of court or, or not paying child support. You'd be surprised how many people have warrants out. And then making that arrest, now I have the right to search his car. Hmm. I didn't like to search a car just by asking, can I search your car and have him sign a re- uh, a, a request to search your car form. I never used that form. I didn't think it was right. So, yeah, I guess I have to ask you, did you have any incidents that did go horribly wrong? Like somebody, you see it on TV where the guy takes off uh, all of a sudden or yeah, jumps out that, of the car and runs or draws a weapon or anything like right, that. Right. The one that, I, that reminds me of, the one big one that I had on the parkway was – The car belonged to an ex-governor in New Jersey by the name of Edge. It's in the book. Yeah. Governor Edge, now he was dead when this happened, but his wife was alive, and her car was stolen in New York City. It was a big Cadillac. And I start chasing him on the parkway, this individual who stole the car. And I eventually, he wouldn't stop. He he knew I was was in a marked car. I was behind him going through the towns uh, on the parkway. And finally, he gets off the exit 145 in East Orange, and I had to put it on the radio. I, this guy's going to kill somebody. And I, I was chasing him, but he couldn't go that fast because of traffic. Well, he tried to run two red lights. The second red light, he crashed. And he got out of the car, and he took off. Now, I, I have to look at the people that he hit. You know, they weren't hurt that bad. But it was a nice accident. He mm-hmm. just ran into the city. I lost him. He uh, was a white male, and uh, about... 30-ish, 28. And the funny thing about it was, based on the fingerprints we had in the car, we he had a record, so we found out. It takes a while. Back then, it took two weeks to get the fingerprints through the system. Now it's almost instant. They have the fingerprints already on file wow. the, uh, with the computer. So we, we ended up arresting him two weeks later and brought him back to the station. And he says to me, how long have you been a trooper? At the time, it's about five years, I guess. He said, well, I've been a criminal 10. I'm going to beat you in all these charges. <laughs> so it made my day when we went to court in Essex County. He was a lawyer from the public defender's office, and he was found guilty, and he got five years in jail for all, all the things he did with wow. his own car and running away and hurting people in the accident. And he's, as he walked by with the, with the uh, court people, he looked at me and I said, five for five. I said, there were some traffic charges, too. I beat him on all five charges. <laughs> Way but, to go. Uh, he, you know, he, he probably could have negotiated a plea deal and got a year or six months in jail, but that he chose to go through it. You, know, you put the judge and the court system through all that uh, problems of a trial and the 
picking a jury, you're going to get the max when 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 you you found if you're found guilty. Right. Now I, I've been focusing on uh, traffic violations, but um, you ever have any like Good Samaritan moments? Uh, any place where you showed up at the right place at the right time to help somebody oh, yeah, save their life, like maybe heart attack, having a child, something yeah, like that? Oh yeah, I had a few like that. Yeah. And one of the things, like around Christmas time, you have an accident. This happened on the parkway a couple times, and you have a family going to grandma's house for Christmas. They got all the presents in the trunk, and the car smashed up. I would load all their stuff in my car in the trunk and take them to grandma's house because uh-huh. the car was an opera. Uh, some, some police officers uh, don't look at it that way, that you want to help the public as much as you can. And they would take them back to the station and say, get your own ride or you got to get somebody to pick you up. I take, unless it was you know too far, as long as it wasn't more than a few miles or 10, 15 miles, I would get permission naturally. I'd call the station and say, I want to take this family to where they were going. And most of the sergeants on the radio would say, Okay, yeah. take them out. Uh, I know in the uh, book. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, another incident uh, that I rem- I recall uh, was a, uh, a woman choking, and and it, unfortunately, I I I felt bad. She was choking on a piece of meat in a restaurant in Branchburg Township, which didn't have a police department, and we were really close when we got the call. We rushed in there. I gave it a Heimlich. I, I did everything I could do. The first A squad came in while I was giving her the Heimlich and trying to uh, clear her uh, her mouth. They they stuck a, a a pipe down her throat for air, whatever machine I think they called it back then, and they took her to the hospital and she passed away. Mm-hmm. I felt bad. I thought, geez, we couldn't save that woman's life. And then the next day, we used to go to the autopsy. If you handle the death, whether it's a car accident or something like this, I go to the autopsy. I mean, we used to, we actually used to help the medical examiner because he didn't have an assistant. It was just him. So you would work with him, and he would give you the brains, and you put it in a box. Oh, and God. give you the uh, heart and that type of thing. Here, hold, hold this for a second. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And then he, when he went into her throat, I was watching him, and he finally got the piece of meat out. He said, Trooper, he says, I don't care how much Heimlich you gave her. There ain't nothing to take that piece of meat. Just the mm-hmm. way it got caught in her larynx, uh, it, it, they, he, he had to take it out with a surgery. That, that's how, how, the way it was stuck. Wow. And so I felt a little better, the fact that I, I didn't save her. But I had done Heimlich on people before, and it worked, you know, whatever they, whatever they had in their uh, and their throat came out. Well, Sal, we got to take another break. On that note, uh, we'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors. If fiction, whether historical, murder mysteries, or spy thrillers take your fancy, check out Milford House Press. Releases of interest include the J.R. Lindermuth series, including Fallen from Grace, The Hawthorne Inheritance by Kate Dyke Blair, Reasonable Doubts by Donald Dewey, or the Alexa Williams series by Sherry Knowlton. Explore by clicking on the Milford House tab at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Sal Maggio the author of The Life of a New Jersey Road Trooper. Uh, Sal, let, let's talk about some of the humorous things that you've encountered. I know the book's full of anecdotes that are funny. Um, maybe share one or two that you think are pretty funny that stand out. 
Well, the one that I put in the book that stands out in my mind, I don't think you could do it today. You'd get in a lot of trouble. We had a call come in at a rest stop, truck stop, that a man ran into the ladies' room. I guess today that's okay, but back then that wasn't okay. <laughs> so we shot down to the truck stop. They didn't have a police department in that town, town of Bloomsbury, New Jersey. And we meet with the truck driver. And he's all upset. He wasn't in the bathroom. He came out and he just waited for us. To, the cashier told him to call the police. And he's telling us that he was sitting talking to a girl who probably was a prostitute. And they were sitting in a booth. And they parked, the truck's parked there. They have they, they sleep in your truck and take a shower. It's a big truck stop. And the prostitutes hang out there. So she liked his ring. So he took his ring off to show it to her, and she dropped it down her blouse and ran into the ladies' room. <laughs> he chased her in the ladies' room. Wait, this is his she... wedding ring, right? Yeah. No, it was a it was a ring. It wasn't okay. a wedding ring. It was a nice ring that his wife had bought him. Oh, they found out later. So he chased her out of the ladies' room, and she got in her car and took off. And he got her. Luckily, he got her plate number. It was a Pennsylvania plate. Of We're course it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, she lived in Easton. I, we came in. He told us the story, and he got the plate, and I said, okay. And I was riding with a, a younger trooper at the time, and I says, okay, look, we'll try to get your ring back. Stay here. So okay. He's staying there anyway. So we get him in the troop car, and my partner, younger guy, says, we're going to go into Pennsylvania. He says, yeah, they'll never know if, if, if I'm a Pensy trooper or a Jersey trooper. They have no idea the public, which is true. So we get to her house, and we ring the doorbell in Eastern Pennsylvania, and which is all illegal. I can't, I'm not supposed to do this, but <laughs> you know, back then you did things. There was a gray area back then, not as much today. Her mother came downstairs and we told her, I want to see your daughter. She came down and I says, I want the ring. So she gave me the ring. So I would have gave it back to him the next time. Yeah, you, yeah sure. You would have gave it back to him. I said, now look, I don't want to see you in the truck stop. I, I suspended her from the truck stop for two months, so she can't sell her wares there. <laughs> she'll only go to the one in Stroudsburg for two months, and then she'll come back to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. It's closer. And I went back and gave the truck driver's ring and said, look, don't take it off anymore. What were you going to tell your wife if you went home without the ring? And he said, uh, well, I'll tell her I lost it. Yeah, well, I don't think she would have believed you. Because mm -hmm. uh, how do you lose a ring, you know, it doesn't fall off your finger. Wow. But that was one of the funny things that I remember that the trooper said to me after it was all over. He says, uh, well, I guess we could have got in trouble if we got caught doing this. I says, yeah, a little bit. But I says, uh, sometimes you gotta, you got to bend the, uh, the black and the white, the gray area. So how many different stations were you assigned to over all the years? Uh, something like 2021 20, in three different troops. Mm-hmm. The parkway is no longer a troop. The Turnpike bought the parkway about parkway about seven, eight years ago. And since that happened, the Turnpike runs the parkway. So the headquarters on the parkway was closed. The stations are still there, and but they all report to the headquarters on the Turnpike. The, the, the total of uh, six stations are all assigned to the Turnpike. The parkway lost the headquarters when that happened. And rightly so, because the Turnpike owns it. So along the way, I guess you, you were a road trooper, then you were a supervisor, eventually captain, and then the commander of Troop B. What was your, uh, at the different levels, what was your favorite role? Well, I, I liked all the positions. Uh, 
uh, one of my favorites was when I made lieutenant and I, I was the station commander of a Newark station on a turnpike. It's the biggest station in the, the whole state, state police station. I had about 75 people working for me there. And I didn't even know I was going to get the job. I was an S sergeant first class in headquarters. I just went up to headquarters from the substation in operations. And I liked operations because we dealt with the Secret Service and the presidential visits and the range. You were out of the building a lot uh, being in operations. You weren't tied to a desk. And all of a sudden, the boss calls me on the intercom and says, somebody wants to see you in my office. So I walk into the captain's office. I was an SFC, like I said. And the major's there from Trenton, and Major Boriello, great guy. I didn't know him. He was in a suit and tie. He, he wasn't in uniform, but I knew what he looked like. I had seen him around, and uh, he says to me, you ready to go to Newark? And I looked at him, and I says, by the way, my mind spun out, and I, I'm thinking, I'm going to go backwards to be an assistant stage commander again? I'm in headquarters. I don't want to go backwards. And he said, no, Dopey, as the station commander. That's a promotion. And I, I wasn't ready. I was only an SFC for 22 or 20, not quite two years. Mm -hmm. And he's going to promote me to lieutenant. But the reason why he wanted me there, I was never stationed as a trooper on the turnpike, only on the parkway. And he wanted somebody out there to clean the place. The place was a mess. It was totally a mess. Uh, I couldn't believe what they were doing there. It's in the book. Most of the stuff is in the book about about the messy place that I inherited. And then I found out years later that two SFCs that were senior to me were asked and they turned it down. How do you turn down a promotion? Yeah, it's tough to go to a place that needs cleaning out, but you do it. You have other people there. You got sergeants. You had, I had an assistant who was a good guy who was senior to me. And uh, we cleaned the place up. After 25 transfers, they knew I had the power, not from the captain out there, from the major in Trenton, he gave me carte blanche power to transfer people that I, that I thought were screwing up. Yeah. And uh, I did. And uh, it worked out. It took me about six, eight months, and the station was running like a Swiss clock. So uh, I know we're getting near the end here. Probably have a couple minutes to go, maybe three, four. But do you have any advice for the general public when they're encountering uh, New Jersey straight, or state troopers anywhere or police anywhere? Any advice these days? I just say be polite. If you're polite and you hand the trooper or the patrolman your your credentials, and you say you're sorry, if you you probably know why you most people know when they're speeding, especially speeding, and they know why they get stopped. So I'm sorry, sir. I, I wasn't paying attention. A lot of times when I got that from a motorist, I'd give them a warning because mm -hmm. they're just being polite. I don't care what color he was. I don't care what gender. You get a warning. You know, I tended to write a ticket. If I'm going to write a summons for speeding, if you had a fancy car like a BMW or a Cadillac or a Lexus, I might give you the ticket because I know you could afford it. If you're <laughs> an older older person with an old station wagon with two kids in the car and it looks like they all need a, a hamburger or something, I'd give you a warning. I, I looked at it that way. My own sister got a ticket once, and she always drives a Cadillac or a big Lincoln. She got a ticket in Delaware speeding when she owned a condo down in uh, Maryland. And she got mad because she shows him my picture, you know, and the, and the trooper from Delaware says, oh, that's a very nice picture. And he gave her summons anywhere for speeding. And she <laughs> came back and blamed me. I said, well, if you, weren't, if you were driving a Chevy or a Ford, you might have got away with it. There you You're go. driving a big car, big Cadillac at the time. And he got, she got a ticket. But he, I said, he's, he does what I would do. 
But she blamed me for the ticket because she didn't get out of it. But she's out of state, you know. Things change when you get farther away from New Jersey. Yeah. What about young troopers out there that are just starting their police career? I know you've had a successful career. Uh, and he- says, do what you're told and be careful of what you say to people. Unfortunately, with the audio on your clip to your shirt, and anything you say is going to be recorded. And if, if that man or person makes a complaint against you, and you said the wrong thing, you're going to get a reprimand at least. And it's hard. It, the discretion isn't there anymore. I, I feel bad for the troopers today, uh, but they don't know how it was years ago. I, they might if they read my book, and I hopefully I sent a copy to the colonel, who I know quite well, and hopefully he puts it on his website uh, for the guys to buy. But I, I, don't, I don't know if he will or not. That's up to him. It's a commercial item. He might not be able to put it on his website. I don't right. know. So, Sal, what are you doing in your retirement now? Anything well, exciting besides golf? I guess you're probably golfing or something, right? Golf yesterday, yeah. I'm golfing Monday again. And, I, and uh, well, I, I spent 12 years as a private investigator for a large firm in Newark. That's in the book. And I didn't put too much about that in, but I enjoyed that job because private investigator is different than a, uh, uh, a police investigator. I dealt more with insurance fraud, uh, divorce, and, and alimony cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, where you make it, uh, a male or a female make a, a, uh, a, they sign a contract on, on a divorce, and it says in that contract that the female, normally it's the female can't cohabitate with anybody, male or female, or the alimony stops. Well, I have to find out if they're cohabitating. And I, I enjoyed doing that because they were cheating the husband by having a boyfriend or girlfriend living with them and sharing the bills, and, and he's paying this alimony case. Right. Uh, uh, I, I had one one of my last cases. It's in the book. I put that one in the book because it was one of my last cases where I actually went to court, Superior Court in Morris County, where uh, the uh, judge uh, ended the he was paying $4,100 a month all these years. He was paying that for a long time. And then when he found out she was cohabitating, I, I got the information. But then after it was all said and done and the judge dismissed the case, he said to me, boy, he says, your, your, your payments are cheap. I says, what do you mean? He says, you paid, I had to pay you $2,000 and change for all the work you did. I had to pay the lawyer $60,000. Oh, my. Yeah, well, that's what happens with lawyers. I said, well, I said, I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, Sal, we are at the end. It's been great talking to you. I know the book's been very well received. And, uh, you know, thank you again for your service, the incredible police work you did for decades in New Jersey. And uh, look forward to hearing from you again sometime. Well, you'll hear from me. From me and Freddie want to take you out to lunch. There you go. All right. Let's do it. Well, I'll let, he just came back from Florida. Well, once he settles in, uh, maybe in uh, – I'm going to Florida in May for a week. But maybe in uh, late May or early June we can come up there. We'll come up to your place. Okay. I'm sure you have some places that we can go have lunch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.